Hello, uh, welcome to the Suffolk Money Podcast, supported by King's Fleet uh, providers of independent financial advice. Uh, today, uh, we deal with something that uh, perhaps is a bit uh, close to home for, for myself. So uh, I had to bring some experts in as well. We've been asked to maybe touch on the gyrations and volatility that's been going on in the economy over the last few weeks and maybe the last couple of months. So uh, we pulled together a few experts. So there's Daniel Zipfall, my colleague at Kingsfleet, uh, Adrian Game, who's an uh, independent mortgage advisor at Resolute Mortgages, uh, and myself. And we're just talking through the issues that have arisen over these last few months with the change in leadership of the Prime Minister and the fluctuations that's gone on in the economy and what's happened and why has it happened and what difference does it make to you as an investor, as a pension holder, or as a mortgage borrower. And uh, we just talked through some of those issues. So uh, we've got Adrian Game from Resolute, we've got Daniel Zipfel and myself from Kingsfleet, and we're dealing with what is going on in the economy. Uh, it's really good, uh, Adrian and Daniel, that you can uh, join me today to talk through this complete chaos that we've had <laughs> over uh, the last few weeks in investment markets and mortgages and, and pensions and all sorts of things. Um, Adrian, you're you're in a different part of the office to us. Obviously, we're, we share the same building, but uh, you've been burning the midnight oil a little bit over the last few weeks. It's been some fairly long days, Colin. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Have you known a time like this? How, first of all, how long have you been doing um, mortgage work? Yeah, in and off for almost 20 years, um, with Resolute for almost 10. Um, yeah, I don't really remember as vividly as I do right now a time when it's been quite as crazy as what it is. Um, COVID was a bit of an exception, wasn't it? Mm, sure. Um, That's more from a servicing perspective and trying to get hold of lenders and that type of thing. But in terms of People being aware of rates, jumping on rates, application submissions, timing being quite crucial. Yeah, that's definitely been a big change lately, yeah. Yeah, and, and Daniel, obviously you've been involved in personal finance market for a number of years. Has uh, Have you seen anything quite like this? No, to be honest, uh, it's I think it's the most unusual pattern of events, isn't it? From if you, if you even go back to say COVID through to where we are now, historically, I don't think we've ever seen sort of such a roller coaster ride um to be to be frank um i've worked in you know large banks and um through to independence and you know they they tend to try and ride the storm but yeah it's been really unusual you had to think on your feet and watch the news continuously i don't think i've ever listened to radio four so much in my life <laughs> you must be an expert on the tipping forecast by the way I think it is one of the phrases which I heard when I was at a conference last week, and I know Daniel was there as well, and, and it was this phrase permacrisis that's being bandied around now, um, which uh, which is really just this fact that there is something that seems to be going on all the time now that impacts on us, or that people are worried and concerned. And uh, yeah, it's something that I guess we're all having to just overcome in our conversations with clients all the time. It's interesting, I've not heard that before. <laughs> yeah, sorry, spring that one on you. Yeah, <laughs> it's a nice yeah. one to bring out at a dinner party. Um, yeah. But we we, um, we we ought to just explain to to folk what's been going on really, and try and do our best. Uh, so I'll I'll try and do that from an economic perspective, really, just to give a bit of a recap. So um, you've both 
touched on COVID and actually that's really the origin of the issues that we've had over the last couple of months. And um, the, the primary reason for that is that governments, well, through their central banks, printed lots of money. This thing that you'll have heard of called quantitative easing, effectively it's creating money out of thin air and then with that money going to buy government bonds because they're safe. Um, so that's what was happening. Central banks would, would print money. Um, it wasn't actually printed, but it's created. And then they would go and buy government bonds. So they would create all this extra money. So in the UK, um, the Bank of England created 20% more money um, in the two years between March 2020 and March 2022. In America, hang on to your hats, it was 40%. So there were 40% more dollars in the world by uh, March 22 compared to uh, March 2020. So in two years, they'd wow. increased the number of dollars in the world by 40. That's four zero, just in case <laughs> that's not coming across. It's a staggering amount of new money that was created. And um, when you study economics, one of the definitions of inflation is too much money chasing too few goods. And essentially through COVID, we had both of those things going on. So we had all this new money being created and you couldn't get hold of fence panels for love nor money, could you? Or, or garden equipment or gazebos or all of these sorts of things. And so that's, so did you have a similar problem, Adrian? So no, all the essentials. All the essentials, yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, toilet rolls, you know, it doesn't matter. You name it, there was probably a run on it at some stage. And, um, and yeah, that, that's where inflation um, comes from. So too much money chasing too few goods. And we, lots of money was created. Um, there weren't enough goods. Supply chains were affected. China in lockdown and all of those issues. Consequently, prices have gone up. And whilst initially the, um, central banks, Bank of England, the Federal Reserve in America and so on, have been saying it's just transitory. It's just because of the passing issues of covid um, they suddenly changed their mind in December of last year. And so this year has been a story of them trying to control inflation by putting up interest rates. And that's really the, the starting point, the backdrop behind what then happened with the uh, change in leadership in the UK. And uh, just bringing this introductory bit to a bit of a close, um, we then had the uh, new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, and her Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, and the famous mini-budget, which was delivered, I believe, on the 23rd of September, um, which was a Friday, which, again, is mightily unusual for a budget. It's normally midweek. Um, there had been no workings out or checking of homework at all, um, because uh, the OBR, the Office of Budget Responsibility, didn't get the opportunity to see anything. They didn't have any uh, idea what was going to be announced. And by all accounts, neither did the um, most of the cabinet. <laughs> so so uh, this announcement was made uh, that were included a number of different things. So here we go, chaps, let's bring you in on this. Can you remember any of the announcements that were made in the mini budget? Little quiz here. I do. The first one I think was um, the, I suppose the most controversial one of the, the additional rate tax of 45%. I think it's the one that confused most people. Um, uh, and that was the first to be backtracked on as well, as I believe, as I remember. So yeah, it was the, I think it was the catalyst really for it all being U-turned. Um, 
uh, well, one of them anyway. So yeah, that was uh, that was certainly one that was sort of stands out. Really. That's right. Yeah. They were, so they're scrapping the the tax rate over one hundred and fifty thousand, which is currently forty five percent to take it down to forty, in line with high rate tax. And yeah, I think you're right. It was the first to be scrapped, but actually. It probably cost one of the least of all the announcements, which mm. is quite bizarre, but it just came as a total bolt out of the blue. Um, any others? Adrian, what, can you remember uh, some key ones? Well, that was going to be my first guest, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> um, Daniel's national, there. Has national insurance changed? Didn't they say they're going to um, put that put that down? That's yeah. right, yeah. So again, there was an announcement made in the last budget to increase national insurance. Um, that has already come into effect, but then they said they would scrap that. So that increase, that one and a quarter percent uh, rise in national insurance was um, changed as well. So, yeah, that one went back. And, and think of any others? Yeah, 19 percent, I think. Was, uh, I was fretting because I was getting out my calculator thinking I'm going to have to redo some calculations on many things now. <laughs> of the 19%. However, uh, again, that went, that came and went quite quickly, didn't it, to be fair, it did. so, um, in, in relative politics terms. So, yeah, that was uh, another one which they sprung on us. Um, and again, it, that, that caused a lot of controversy in the sense that people were saying, uh, you know, how much difference is that actually going to make? Um, I think people welcome definitely the contribution towards the you know the cost of living crisis the energy crisis but that one in particular again people the general comments were you know is that going to put more money in my pocket really you know so yeah yeah you're, you're right yeah so yeah basic rate tax was going to be reduced uh, that had already been announced to happen i think two years from now um down from 20 to 19 they're going to bring that forward to start in april next year but now as you say that was then reversed um, not long afterwards. Um, yeah, you're right. For those of us who have to gross up things like pension contributions, um, grossing up by 20% is quite straightforward, but by 19 is a complete nightmare. So yeah, I think some of us, oh, that's very selfish, isn't it? That really would have been a bit tricky. But um, yeah, of course, the, the, the thing with tax rates as opposed to national insurance is they, they apply to everybody, whereas national insurance is only to employees. Um, so uh, yeah, for many retired people, um, tax um, tax rates is much more critical than national insurance. But yeah, whereas the biggie was the energy price cap that I remember trying to yeah. work out what that was going to potentially be or not be. Yeah, so I think actually that's all that we were most of us were really expecting. I think when we sat down, uh, that that Friday lunchtime to listen what was to to just hear something about that. Um, and that was all got lost, really. But that's a huge cost to the government, really, because they're underwriting. And until is it April? Um, mm. That's going through till yeah. now. It was for two years, wasn't it? Um, yeah. But the cost for that for two years would have been absolutely colossal. Um, yeah. yeah, massive, massive cost. But uh, yeah, interesting stuff, really. Um, all of these things. And then, uh, yeah, after a period of time, we had a new chancellor come in. Um, so quasi Carlton got the sack, which you can't help but feels a little bit hard. Um, I think I heard um, you comment actually around that time that <clears throat> your maths teacher used to say the answer is one point, but the working out is four points. So always show your workings out. And I think that was, 
Quasi's kind of uh, downfall in the sense that um, around the time that we're all, including the markets and the investment markets, were waiting for you know a report to say how he was going to do this or how the government were going to do this. So yeah, he, he didn't follow his maths teacher's advice, did he? <laughs> yeah, always though you're working, it's always good. <laughs> when um, what was going on this time? Um, uh, you know, for you, Adrian, were you? Um, getting panicking calls was it difficult to keep track of what was going on in mortgages yeah there's a couple of things they they changed the stamp duty rules didn't they so people wasn't too sure if they if you've already exchanged does that affect you when do you pay are they were they trying to delay moving dates and stuff so stamp duty was a big as a fair few people that i've had the opportunity to work with that have saved you know quite a few thousand pounds on stamp duty which is a, a nice instant benefit for them um and that's carrying on, isn't it? That's currently, yeah, because yeah. yeah, that had already started its progress yeah. through Parliament. Right. Right. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think is going to stay. Um, whether or not I think the stamp duty cost personally actually does deter people from buying houses or not, I'm not too sure. It's been there for such a long time now that it's a, a bit of a standard thing that you have to pay for, isn't it? And compared to what it was many years ago, it's not as expensive as what it used to be. But, um, mm. but yeah, so there'll be many people that benefit from that. Um, the biggest thing was the uncertainty with the rate. So I think it was the first time that a lot of people had um, it been pushed in front of their faces that they were having to consider what the increased interest rates would look like for them. Um, although it had been simmering in the background for quite a while, they um, they probably just thought that it wasn't as big an impact maybe or wasn't going to affect them or they're on a fixed rate. Luckily, it had a few or, more. Or maybe so. not changed quite to the extent that it did because oh, it was yeah. such an enormous change so quickly wasn't it good, good, good point colin yeah absolutely right so so lenders were just pulling rates normally we may get a couple of days notice in advance of some product changes you know banks themselves historically will have like product design teams that will be working behind the scenes to work out what the next rates and fees and how long they're going to be for and they, they they sort of give us a little bit of a heads up on what those changes could look like you know things were being pulled Mid midday, I was halfway through a mortgage application and I didn't even get to the end of it. And the rate that I started with wasn't there at the end. And you know, and I've not I've not seen that before. That was a um, that was a bit confusing. Um, so yeah, yeah. Log, log, logging back out and logging back in didn't seem to fix that problem. But, um, so, so yeah, and it was and it was you know people were you know the, the the higher level of anxiety that I was starting to feel from my clients' point of view is that they were almost feeling like they've got to do something, not know what to do. And when you normally have a time to sit back and reflect and maybe spend a day or two to even think about what your next move may be, they'd be calling back the next day. I'd be like, sorry, that, that rate's not available now. It's now mm. going to be this instead. And that then starts the whole merry-go-round of decision process again, where they sit back for another day or two to think about it. And then they come back, oh, yeah, sorry. And it was it was weird. So we had some, yeah, me and the office ladies had some... Um, real late nights of just trying to just get these applications through because lenders would say rates are due to expire eight o'clock tonight, 10 o'clock tonight, seven o'clock on a Sunday, and we were just doing the best we can to get them in. Yeah, that's very difficult in that time because one of the key things that, you know, with your ethics as a business is you want people to have time to think. You don't want to be putting pressure on them, do you? You want them to make wise choices because these are long-term decisions, aren't they? And yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, Colin. Yeah, I completely agree with that. You know, con consideration time is hugely important. You know, we like to present a number of options to people and explain the pros and cons for both. And you know, they'll come back hopefully with a 
with an informed decision that they, you know, and, and again, I'll invite them the opportunity to ask some questions just to certify their understanding. But, you know, people just almost like smashing and grabbing and just grabbing whatever they can do. Um, a bit like the toilet rolls in the supermarket, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. If they're there, if, that, if it's there, take it. Might not yeah. be your brand, but yeah, we'll have yeah. it. Um, yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I had the, the same principle applied to chocolate trifles during drop down, when uh, drop down, draw down, um, draw down uh, during, you know, uh, Lockdown, even. Um, there we go. I'll try that again. I had the, uh, uh, the brain there in your car, I think. Like... <laughs> I had the same issue regarding chocolate trifles in co-op during lockdown. Uh, that yeah. if they were there, I would grab them uh, because yeah. that was just yeah, a little treat. So, yeah, no, you're you're right. I think that's just one of those difficult issues that, particularly in the world that you're operating in, where you have to book a rate and you have to pay the money to get what you need and and to be able to go ahead with it. That things were just changing so rapidly and not just by a fraction they were changing mm. by huge amounts every day as far as i can understand absolutely right yeah big yeah i think from um working for a big lender as well i won't mention which one it is but um just in case they <laughs> there <clears throat> there would be panic stations with them and them as well you know to be fair all lots of hurried meetings because if let's say the top three lenders in the country one of them was to happen to leave their their lowest rate up top for any length of time then you know they would be overwrought with applications mm. you can't just go out and recruit 50 new underwriters to deal with that business you have to be able to deal with it so your service levels have to be kept otherwise you're affected aided by that aren't you because then Every time you phone up, you're four hours on the phone, aren't you? So yeah, it's tough. It's tough for everyone. I mean. Yeah, there were some lenders that their service level agreements to assess initial documents changed to eleven working days. Wow. You know, that's kind of like waiting for almost the best part of three weeks just to know whether you've even got the initial, very early part of a mortgage application agreed mm. before they've gone anywhere near. You know, if you've just had an offer accepted on a house, mm. that's yeah, well, sort of, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, and rightly or wrongly, I don't particularly personally agree with this stance that some estate agents choose to take. But, you know, if they won't even present an offer to a vendor that there's a house that you want to buy without producing various documents, then you may not even have the opportunity to have an offer except on a property. Mm. You know, we all know, don't we, that you know anyone can offer whatever they want and whatever house without needing to evidence these type of documents. But some internal processes that estate agents choose to follow that unless you can evidence it via a, a piece of paper certificate, you know, they're not even going to have a conversation with the vendor. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of people that just generally felt like they were missing out on things mm. because I wasn't able to say to them, yeah, it's, it's going to be okay. Not, not that you're ever really able to say, yes, it's going to be okay because there's always that element of after um, the application submitted checks that needs to be carried through. I think one of the things we also just need to explain to people is about guilt. So we've talked about government borrowing and about interest rates going up. And essentially what really triggered the market here was a government that was presenting a budget that said we're going to give money back to people and we can't really explain where that money is coming from. So the assumption was, therefore, as reverts back to Daniel's point about showing your workings, if you don't show your workings, you have to make assumptions. Um, the assumption was then that the government were just going to borrow all that money. So it was unfunded um, uh, tax cuts, essentially. And uh, really what, what the market then saw was that this would then increase the risk of government debt and the likelihood of uh, the UK government not being able to repay its own loans, which um, 
I'm sure Adrian and Daniel, you could both chip in on this, for, for someone who is less likely to repay their loan if their credit history isn't so good, you pay more for what you borrow. Um, and so essentially that's what was happening. The market was saying, well, we're not prepared to believe it's this level of interest rate. We think it actually should be higher. And this was particularly noticeable, what's called long-term long gilts, which is really anything in excess of 10 years. And now that's really unusual for those to change very much, but I think that was fed through from the shorter term range, which is affecting the fixed rate mortgages that Adrian would be dealing with yeah. through to the longer term. And the longer term stuff is really where all the pension money is sitting. And um, you might have heard that um, there was some issues about pension funds. Those are really final salary pension funds. Um, and again, Daniel sat in meetings with me where we've tried to explain this, so I hope you can follow this all right. But essentially what used to happen is final salary pension funds would know when people are retiring. So let's say they know somebody is going to be due their pension in 20 years. They would take out a gilt a government bond for that period of time, and they would then know that on maturity they would get their money, be risk-free, everything's fine. What they then chose to do is rather than do that and tie the money up, they've done that synthetically and they've used things called derivatives, which essentially just mean that the same thing happens, but it's essentially an insurance contract. So that, that's all fine, but the change in interest rates was so much that they were having to pay additional premiums into their insurance contract in order to maintain the the, the, the liability matching, even though that liability doesn't arise for 15 or 20 years. So the only way they could ins um, meet those insurance premiums was by selling other assets. So that's why during that particular time, the stock market was very volatile because essentially they were selling off shares in big companies that were very liquid and able to be sold in order to meet those insurance premiums. So it wasn't that they were gonna run out of money, they had plenty of money within the pension fund. The issue was they were having to meet these liability-driven investments, which was further down the line and having to meet those insurance contracts. So that caused a huge amount of added volatility into the stock market. And some of that was quite difficult. We were getting not, not huge numbers of people phoning, but there were people who were rowing about that, wasn't there, Daniel? I think yeah, you know, we yeah, took calls from people. Yeah, I think it was um, <clears throat> one of the things as well, just to you know that people were unaware of what protection is out there from the pension regulators as well and and, and what you know rules are in place for people are very aware of eighty five thousand being covered you know in the financial compensation scheme but yeah it's a, it's a question for my own father because he had a db pension was in the fire service for years and i sort of relayed what was happening and the first question he said come, come back to me was is my money safe um and i think that that was one of the things that most people yeah if you ask most people who have who hear that kind of thing in the news, then then they're questioned. There is always, am I going to be okay? Um, and I think the Bank of England, um, again, my opinion, but they, you know, they, they saw a problem, acted on it, resolved mm. it, and actually, we're, you know, we we should be in a place where, you know, that shouldn't, in theory, um, arise fairly soon or in the near future, hopefully. So yeah, I think that that was the question we always have: is, you know, is my money. Uh, is is it safe? Are people doing the right things? So. Yeah, it's a particularly um, 
difficult time because, of course, when the media picks up on these things, they say that it is all to do with risks in pensions. And so anyone who has a pension, whether it's a final salary scheme or DB, as you say, defined benefit scheme or a personal pension, hears that in the media quite understandably thinks, well, is that me? Is that my money? Is that a risk? Is, is that a risk because of government bonds? And the thing that we often have said to people is government bonds are supposed to be um, and should be uh, the safest place, really. Um, yeah, in theory, are they, though? <laughs> <laughs> well, not when interest rates go up and inflation rises as quickly as it has. So, yeah, that's that's the bit that probably needs to be, be clarified. Um, Danny, what, for someone who perhaps is in a pension fund uh, and they might see government bonds, what difference could this make to them? I think um, government bonds, uh, it, you know, we talked about it earlier, um, is that we've seen a, a decrease in the, or, or a lot of volatility in the investment market. And then we've also seen government bonds uh, decrease in value as well, which has um, affected pension funds um, adversely. I mean, we, 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 you know, client meetings that I've had have certainly had that discussion. Um, and also just around kind of the, the latter stages, just prior to retirement, um, a lot of group pension schemes offer what's called lifestyling, which um, um, traditionally is I've worked all my life, worked very hard, done all the right things. I've accumulated this pot of money and uh, I may have been sort of you know, a bit more of an adventurous investor with my funds, you know, in the middle part of my life. But as we grow towards retirement and we, we, we're looking to take that step then traditionally then we de-risk them. Um, so that was part of sort of what lifestyle and group pension, for example, is all about. Um, but unfortunately that, you know, because we've seen a decrease in what would look to be sort of more of the safer harbour, which is your kind of government bonds, that that we've seen a, a gain that may not be the most favourable option. Um, so there's a lot of confusion around that at the moment. And the question is always, should we now, you know, start de-risking it prior to retirement. And that is, mm. you know, a question that we're working through as well. So yeah, then but on the there's always positives with negatives. So, you know, that for those who are, you know, prefer the option of an annuity, which is where you hand over your money for um a guaranteed income um for a, you know, potentially for life uh, during retirement then, you know, the, the rates have been historically quite low, uh, the rates that which are offered in annuities, but because interest rates are now increasing, then we've seen a, you know, a benefit to that as well. So, you know, there, there are always people that are affected negatively, but then, you know, there are some positives in there as well. So. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the lifestyling issue is something that many people probably aren't aware that they're in. Many group pension schemes just do it automatically and people aren't aware that they are having risk taken away from their portfolio, in theory, but often government bonds are used as a way of doing that. We've heard reports of people, not, not those that we deal with, who've seen you know, significant double-digit reductions in the value of their pension as they come up to their, their final retirement or their intended retirement age. Yeah, I think flexibility is something that's you know, uh, promoted within the, the pension world at the moment, um, particularly within group pensions, where... You know, you'll join a scheme and in the small print it says, you know, we will do this prior to retirement. But you may join the scheme 25 years before. Mm. And then if you, if you, you know, like some people don't, you know, it's not a case that you pick up your pension statement every year and go through it with a fine tooth comb. So there are, you know, the, 
it, it's worth you know just looking what scheme you're in and making sure that it's appropriate to the kind of risks or in fact how you want to invest your money so mm. you know that's that's a worthy note it's probably just worth saying to people who are listening to this if they're in a group pension scheme so in other words this is an arrangement where your employer contributes as well as you into a scheme and you get a value every year um of just checking out where that money is invested mm. um, most companies will provide some form of surgery service with a financial advisor we'd like to think uh, we offer that for a couple of businesses that we look after um, and provide that but uh yeah, I, I think that way at least employees can be reassured that their money is safe and secure and is in the right place based on their attitude to risk. Yeah. Would, would the individual have the choice as to what type of scheme or fund their money could go into, or is that all decided by their company typically? One of the largest ones that there's, that's out there at the moment um, is, you know, they have, they make it very clear. So they'll have big colourful boxes, which allows you then to pick your funds and then, pick the risk level at which you, you draw down your funds into retirement so but you know it it depends if you want to log on and 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 look at it and and understand it i think this is the understanding which is the critical part is that you know unless sometimes you know i do you know like colin says surgeries for companies where we'll sit down and we'll go through the individual funds which the the clients are invested in just make sure that they're appropriate and they're where they are in their lives as well, because people are working longer. So it might be the case that at 55, they start doing a, a process, um, but actually the, the, you know, the person wants to work until they're 70, 75. So actually there's a long time where they might actually just want to, you know, not de-risk their money, but keep it on a sort of more of a balanced level, really. So down to the individual, really, but down to understanding as well. How, how do you deal with that in the mortgage world? Adrian, is there a way of, um, do people review the mortgages that they're on? How, how much of the population is just sitting on a standard variable rate and never checks it? Yeah, I think that they always talk about this mythical figure of how many people are sitting on a standard variable rate, but I can't think of a single client of mine in the last 10 years that we've allowed to sit on a variable rate because variable rates have always been so much more expensive than a fixed rate. So a big part of our client service and arrangement is that we contact people a good six months before their fixed rates are due to expire, whether they want a two year, three year, five year, 10 year, whatever the product might be, to start to plan and think what the next product will be when their fixed rate does expire. Um, you know, people are aware that they borrow money for a, a, you know, a period of time. I think the, the mortgage, a 25 year mortgage seems to be a bit of a myth now. We don't see many of those are 35 40 and some lenders are doing longer than that now so people are aware that they're borrowing money for a significant amount of time and there are some um, really good illustrative numbers based on how much the total cost of borrowing could be for that full length of term but people do seem to concentrate more solely on the two-year three-year five-year fixed rate where there is or isn't a fee so yeah, i'm sure there are common people that are going to be on a standard variable rate but they're not typically clients that that we've um, looked after. However, saying that, because the fixed rates have jumped up significantly and the fixed rate seems to have gone up a little bit higher than what the lender standard variable rate has, um, there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of difference between these variable rates and what some new fixed rates could be. So I have had conversations where clients have gone, well, might as well just stay on the standard variable rate, they might and, and see what's going to happen. And 
you know, there, there is an element to that if, of course, you have the understanding what that could mean moving forward. So I don't think that's an answer to everyone's question, but it, you know, it, it could be something that we could think about provisioning for some who mm. you know, choose to look at it differently. Yeah. So how have you seen things change, say, over the last few weeks then since this particularly difficult period has sort of subsided a new chance? We've now got a new prime minister. Do you feel as though the heat has come out of all those changes? Are rates still high? How do you see it? I think it's difficult, isn't it? I think that we, you know, you know, us in the business and the industry, we choose to or we try to have a different level of understanding to what a consumer may have. So we want to understand you know, maybe some of the thought process that goes into these rates and what may or may not happen and are they going to be going up or will they come down and why why all these changes coming in and, and the, I think probably hopefully you'll agree with me I think the reason why we want to understand that is because they're typically the questions that people ask us and we want to have a relative amount of information to be able to share with them why it's happening but you know I suppose does that then come down to advice that we give or an opinion that we have a there's a very fine line between the two isn't it but you know, when these rates were climbing at such a rapid rate and people's mortgage rates were just, you know, you know I could see the look in people's faces. It was like, you know, panic, denial. It's just awful, really. It's, you know, it, yeah, it hasn't been fun. But, you know, why have the rates been as high as what they are? Why have they gone up so much? Well, was that in anticipation of them being even higher? Is that how much the rate needed to be at that time? Is that how much the bank needs to charge for the term of the product? Probably come back to the initial question, Colin, was about what have I seen the last few weeks? Well, there hasn't been this mad change of rates being pulled every other day and applications sort of being withdrawn and, you know, these closing deadlines where this product's due to expire. And there have been a lot of cascade from various lenders. Their rates have started to come down a little bit which again makes a great headline, but when rates have gone up by 1.4% you know, and have now come down by 0.1, you know, it's kind of like the, it's trying to put that into a little bit of a context, but it definitely seems to have slowed down a bit, balanced out a little bit. It does seem that lenders possibly are understanding a little bit more at their end what these rates need to be move, moving forward. But yeah, they are still, you know, very high. You know, everyone that's going to come off a fixed rate now and in the future is going to be paying a, a lot, lot more for their mortgage than mm. what they've owned for probably the last 10 plus years. Well, I was just interested to what you've seen in the, the the housing market. I know it's not, you know, you deal with mortgages, but the, the that's a direct effect to it. I mean, we've got some people who work in the office that, are, you know, were desperate to buy houses sort of six, eight months ago. And and it was, you know, difficult because people were outbidding each other and all sorts of things. Yeah. It now slowed down because of this, do you think? Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, good question, Daniel. I think that um, it's, two, it's twofold, isn't it? You've got, um, so say you're a first-time buyer and for all the reasons why we wanted to buy our home is no different for all the reasons as to why they want to buy theirs. It, it doesn't really matter to them today what rates may have been a year or two year ago because it it wasn't where they're at and they, they can't have that anymore. So I have had conversations with a lot of first time buyers who can afford to borrow money. You know, they're aware of what the new payments are going to be. They don't seem to be concerned as to what their rate is as long as they know what their payments are going to be. And I'm sure for many people, that will mean that they are still very comfortable to go buy their first house together. You know, it's, it, you know, it is what it is, isn't it? It has to happen at some point. But then like, you know, mirroring what you've just said, Daniel, it's, there are people that also go, oh, you know, this is great news. Prices might come down. People can't afford their mortgages. Houses are going to be sold. Should I be buying now? Well, 
you know, I think if we're being honest, that's a question that we could probably ask ourselves at any stage in buying a house, whether it's been now or in the last 10 years. It's, mm. I think that, that common conversation of rates have to go up and houses have to come down, you know, I, I think everyone's always thought that's going to be the case, isn't it? So I don't know, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? I think if the, if the time is right, it's the right time, isn't it? And, and if it isn't, then it's not. So I think just kind of go with your gut on that one. But, that, but I have had um, a lot of conversations with people who have thought about moving. So a lot of the press seems to be around the, the, you know, the, the poor first-time buyers, and I do obviously empathise with them a little bit, but the people that are looking to move house, um, yeah, they've got to factor in the cost of what their mortgage will now be if they didn't move, mm-hmm. plus the cost of their new mortgage if they did move. And for a lot of people, it is not affordable for them to move. they are now not moving and you think well okay that's that's going to have an impact isn't it you know the the people that are already they've been used to paying 800 pound a month for their mortgage they thought moving into their lovely bigger house was going to cost them a thousand pounds a month and i've now told them their 800 pound a month mortgage in their old house will now be 1150 a month in their old house and if they were to move that's going to cost them the best part of 14 14 50 500 quid so that that, so they are now not moving And and i think that those people which I think is a big chunk of people, and mostly the people that I see um, are more concerned about it than, than my experience of a number of conversations with some first-time buyers. Yeah. And, and, and the key is to have a conversation with, with, with you, really, or, or, you know, mortgage brokers in general, in the sense that, you know, to understand and be informed about that before you start making plans. Because often you start making plans you know a long time before you move you know but having that conversation start off would be a good thing yeah I've, I've always I suppose my stance of the business is that you, you know you want to give people their options you want to make sure their options are you know as, as precise as you can make them making allowances for various changes and you know address some good and bad in all of that I suppose but you know what I have seen more lately is that people are interested in what you've got to say if of course what if, if what you say is what they want to hear isn't it and and it, and it seems to be there's a lot of kind of you know not negativity about it it's, it's a negative subject isn't it it's not it's not positive is it so you know it, you can't help but sound ish ne- negative about certain things and if that doesn't sit on what people want to hear it kind of I think they do tune in to what they want to hear and and that that I think has been you know more prevalent than a lot more of my conversations over the last well, probably this year, really, not not so much in just the last few weeks. So it's yeah, it's in it is yeah, it's different. It's different. It's different at the moment. I think is the best way to describe it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That's good. Yeah, I think you're right. Though. That is it is different. You know, we are in a fundamentally different place with interest rates, with inflation, than where we've been any time in the last eight or probably twelve years, actually. Um, and I think it, there is a, a complete change that we've either got to recognize and embrace or we are just if we pretend it's all going to go back to how it was four or five years ago it's just not it really isn't but there will be some people out there who will be saying oh yeah it is. it's all absolutely fine um and i think that's it sometimes a change is quite difficult to explain to people because it's just not something that they're familiar with absolutely right definitely and, and, I, and I still feel that irrespective of how long you have left on your fixed rate you may feel like you've desperately lucked out if you've still got two and a half years left of your five-year fixed rate, but I still feel that their com- their time will come. That conversation will be had. They will have to address you know, whether. Yeah. The, but I think, like you've just said, mentioned Collins. I think that people do feel that it's all a plaster will be stuck to the problem. It will all sort itself out in two years' time. The world will be back down to how we've always known it, and then they can carry on as if nothing ever happened. And yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know. It's a crystal ball answer, that one, isn't it? But yeah, I, I don't feel like that's possible. Uh, well, I guess where I would come from is I think the last 12 years or however long we're looking for, maybe 14 years, have actually been the unusual bit. And normally interest rates will be somewhere between three and eight uh, yes, percent on average. Um, and that's what we've always had. And it's just this bizarre set of circumstances over these last 12 or 14 years, which have meant that hasn't happened. But yeah, it's interesting. We deal with, you know, investment managers, fund groups and so on. And lots of them are so young, they can't have experienced mm. high levels of inflation or higher interest rates. And I do wonder how many of them that aren't really taking into account the new world that we're in. So um, yeah, we shall see. Daniel, how's this impacting investment markets, conversations with clients, things looking forward? What what are you seeing on that? Yeah, again, it's a sort of mixture of positive and negative. I think, um, you know, uh, I hate to use the word negative because it's just relative, really, probably more than anything else. But yeah, the conversations are, uh, are reassurance, really. I think that's one of the, the, the main factors, just to say, you know, we, we have experienced this historically, may not have been exactly the same but um you know there are the, the investment market does go up and go down i mean you know in, and m- most clients that i'm speaking to have a, a a long-term plan a long-term goal linked to their lives so i think that's the key thing isn't it really that you know i want to do this with my money at this point and that's usually some point in the future so the understanding is that actually you know we might be going through a bit of difficult time, but actually, you know, hopefully it will come back around and we'll see a change in that. On a much more of a positive note, um, you know, savers have been largely ignored. <laughs> I think, especially on, you know, those who have used something like a fixed rate interest um, deposit, you know, the cash-based investments, which we've seen a little bit of a rise of recently, again, linked to interest rates increasing. So, um, you know, historically, people haven't even looked at them at all. They've used them sparingly. But, you know, we've had a lot of clients who who actually are inquiring about that kind of investment as well. So because the market has shifted and changed because of our dynamic, we just have to look at the opportunities as well as, as, as say, actually, you know, longer term, hopefully we'll see an improvement. But there are some opportunities at the moment as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think on the whole, people have been, um realistic about what's happening and and those who need reassurance we're here to reassure them and i'll just explaining it like today it's just about explaining what's happening um a little you know pull the curtains open so you can see the market and 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 just explaining kind of what's happening goes a long way yeah just two two issues on that one is that so often people look back in history and they see that markets have bounced back and they say oh yeah well it was always going to and then they'll say this time is different um but actually they just do there is this thing where it's always important to recognize you don't invest in countries you invest in companies and companies are run because they're profitable and they might go through a dip they might find a way of cutting their costs or improving their sales and they will come back again and so there's always somewhere profitable businesses and uh, ultimately that's what investment is in so this year uh, the second point is this year we've had two unusual circumstances of both global equities falling so shares all around the world have gone down and global bonds have as well. So we were just talking about government bonds. Well, that's happened all around the world, maybe not to the same extent 
as in the UK, but it's happened all around the world. And since 1940, there has only been four years prior to this year, four years where both have fallen together. So I'll give you those, just so you can bring this out at a dinner party or at a quiz. And so 1948, 1969, 1987, and 1990. In each of those four years, both bonds and equities fell. And it looks like, unless there is something really quite bizarre, that's going to happen this year as well. And of course, in all of those, there was then a recovery of sorts in the following years. Now, we can't say how much it's going to be or even when it might happen, but it does just indicate the fact that these are cycles. There are times when it's difficult and tough, um, but the important thing is not to panic and to consider the longer term process and the goals that you have in mind. What advice would you just give as we wrap up, Adrian, for anybody who's either thinking of borrowing, buying their first house, looking to move? Uh, what, what should they do? It's, it's strange as it may sound, we haven't really changed how we go about our conversations with clients to what it was before anyway, because the principles fundamentally are exactly the same. So, you know, we'll, you know, I'd, I'd suggest, certainly I think that the place of a broker has never been so important. I think just receiving information directly or reading things off the internet doesn't really add that level of context to what it, what actually is your question and what answer are you actually looking for? So I definitely think the old fashioned advice has, has never been so important. So you know, obviously I'd love you to come and speak to us, but there's many other brokers out there. So I'm sure that, you know, we should all, we should all be in this together. So yeah. Um, have the conversations um make sure you're if there if you feel that there's an element of risk make sure that you're comfortable with what that may look like um if it's something that you need to do now then you need to do it if it's something you don't need to do now then you don't, maybe now isn't the right time so i suppose there is there is those but anyone that has a mortgage i certainly am encouraging all of my clients to have the conversation is to well let's just have a think about what your mortgage would cost today albeit you may be fortunate enough to not have to worry about it just as yet so at least they can start to forward plan and maybe build in some own element of financial efficiencies into their own budgeting so they know what's around the corner and i and i and i still think that that's important whether you've still got two years left of your fixed rate you know where where is the harm in being aware as to what your mortgage may be and if you have if you are fortunate enough to have the flexibility in your budget to absorb those increased payments today where's the harm in overpaying you know, the sooner you get your balance down, the less you owe, the less impact you will have personally on what these potential rate rises could be. So, so I'm, a, I'm a massive advocate in overpaying and as much as my business is based around arranging debt for people, you know, my conversations have always been around how can we get this debt paid back in the, in the quickest, fastest and cheapest possible way. Um, so yeah, I, I think that if you have got a fixed rate that is due to expire probably in the next six to nine months, um, then now definitely is the time for you to be thinking about, you know, what do my options look like? How can we get something in place to potentially, I'll tell you what we have done for a lot of clients actually is, albeit everyone wants to believe that rates are going to come down so much more than what they are today. We have arranged a lot of contracts for clients that have got future start dates. So albeit they know the worst case that their mortgage may look like in six months time, at least they can plan and prepare for that. If things were to change for the next six to nine months, then that, that is also able to change. So we have arranged a lot of contracts for people. So they've got the ultimate stability and security. And we have already changed a couple of those for people where the rates have started to look a little bit cheaper. So mm. it's, it's a win-win, isn't it? It's a, mm. you know, set up the plan A and then we're, we're constantly looking at what plan B could be. So 
Yeah, I, I don't know if I've answered your question there, Colin, but yeah. yeah no, that's absolutely... <laughs> <laughs> I've rambled so much, I've forgotten what the question was. <laughs> Whatever it was, it was marvellous. Oh, um, so it was an answer to a question, maybe not your question. Yeah. So if anyone wants to talk to you, how do they get in touch with you, Adrian? Yeah, sure. Well, we've got an office upstairs from yours, haven't we, Colin? So we're available for face-to-face -face appointments, which I think a lot of people do seem to appreciate now um, because it does allow you to ask better questions. So, um, yeah, phone number 01473 831138. You can call in to book an appointment um, and just have a chat, just see if it's something that you need to talk about with us today. And if it isn't, then we can soon let you know when a good time to catch up will be. So yeah, very, very good. And I suppose we should also just deal from the mortgage perspective of people who perhaps finding things difficult you know if there's a job loss changing career or something is that a case of speaking to a lender first is that the best course of action yeah i, I think that lenders for a very long time has, has always um suggested they've got sympathetic around people's individual circumstances and yeah let's let's not ignore the fact that you know life does throw some curveballs at people and and what quite possibly could be the worst time. So, yeah, I think if you're struggling with payments or you're concerned around your payments, or you absolutely are definitely today finding your payments a challenge, then yeah, we would suggest speaking to your lender directly to be the first um, the, the, the first point of call. And, and I'd certainly suggest that ask for permission is always better than ask, um, begging for, for, for forgiveness. So always make sure that you do keep up with your payments because if you do, miss them all that late then that can have a, a significant negative impact on what your options could be moving forward and i think with all these things and i'm not i'm sure this is no different to your conversations with your clients guys but the more options you have available to you the more choice you have the, the, the better the solution always seems to be so yeah please 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 um yeah make sure that you keep up straight with your payments and if you feel like this slightly going wonky then yeah speak to your lender as soon as you possibly yeah. Great advice, yeah, thank you. Daniel, how about the investment and pension world? What, what are the key issues, the takeaways, given what we've gone through? I think the, the main thing is to, to <clears throat> um, if you need advice, help, support, a, a framework similar to Adrian, really, in the sense that, you know, it's, it's if you are concerned and you have concerns, the last thing we want is for you to you know stay up all night thinking about it the best thing is that you know we, we're happy to speak to you and, and uh, talk through the, any issues you have there are solutions um and and we can put you know various things in place for you but at the end of the day the conversation is the starting point so that's the main thing um and in a you know in a situation where we are going through so many changes um a review of what you've got at the moment is also very advantageous just to make sure it's appropriate at the moment for what you want to achieve in the future and i think that's the key is that you know we, we work hard and we save all this money in our pensions on investments and it's just making sure that they're appropriate for a the risks you want to take and also what where you want to get to and how much you want to get to so we use cash flow modeling into retirement so we can we can predict um, approximately how much you know income you think you'd like to have and then we can you know um, suggest a plan and put it in place to make sure that we get you there um, and I think that's that's the key at the moment careful planning and just making sure that it's appropriate for you and we don't want you to not sleep at night so that's the main thing it's just mm -hmm. concerns worries then you know we're more than happy to help right yeah no quite agree um I think from what I'm sort of picking up from both of you really is, is just thinking ahead, planning. If you're concerned, talk to somebody. 
you know there's there's people who are experts in these fields investments pensions mortgages um who can help and and you know if there's anyone listening who's thinking oh, i don't know what to do i'm a bit stuck just talk to somebody um you know aside from anything else thing we're all very much aware at the moment of mental health and, and the issues that, that that causes and i think you know this one month of complete chaos uh, i think caused a lot of damage for a lot of people so um please don't be afraid to come forward come and have a conversation whether it's something you're worried about from an investment pension or mortgage perspective there's experts not just in our offices but you know further afield in suffolk um really good people look for independence look for people who aren't biased one way or the other and can offer a number of different solutions because they'll tend to be focused around you rather than the company with the name over the door so uh yeah just just seek some advice from people who who are experts and uh on that note uh i should just say thank you to adrian daniel well, no, but adrian were you just going to chip in with a, another word of wisdom there it, it seemed like you were was i going to say something yes were you going to say something um, I know. I think you. I think you. Um, you, you summarise all that perfectly, Colin. I think. Um, but I. But I no. But one thing I probably was maybe on the tip of my lips was the fact you mentioned the mental health side of things, and I definitely agree with that. I think that you know we all know, don't we, that talking about whatever it may be um, does seem to have some medicine attached to it. And I think that when you do, you know, when you're consumed with your thoughts or you're frantically looking at answers on the internet, you know the we do know that the answers they seem to give you are only really linked to the questions that you tend to ask and I think that you know when we talk about things openly in this advice sort of setting I'm sure you agree that our actual processes haven't really changed that much and fundamentally how we deliver advice is hasn't changed really at all but the tone of the conversations definitely seem to feel slightly different because people are asking different types of questions and I you know I, I'm, a, I'm a big well obviously we would be wouldn't we because we're here to give advice we don't just provide information mm. but I, I definitely agree that there's um, a lot of medicine attached to asking good advisors what their what their advice is really mm. yeah so no, I, just, yeah. You know, I just really agree with what you said Colin that's why I was sitting there avidly nodding yeah <laughs> thank you for that yeah. that's brilliant well thank you both so much for your time great to get some good guidance none of this is advice you must just stress there's no financial advice as part of this but i guess what we're just encouraging is if that's what you need then do seek it out and uh, there's good people around and hopefully uh, you see resolute and kingsfleet um, amongst that but uh, thank you both for your time it's been great talking with you yeah thanks yeah thank you cheers So thank you so much for listening to the uh, Suffolk Money podcast supported by Kingsfleet. And uh, I hope that you were able to find today's rather more practical um, issue uh, addressed in what is going on in the economy and trying to explain what's going on with mortgages and investments and so on. I think the bit that we really just wanted to convey, particularly as we reach the end of our conversation there, is that we do recognise that when things like this happen, that it does put extraordinary amounts of pressure on individuals and on families. And we recognise that that can lead to mental health issues. So, yeah, we, we would just encourage you to take advice, speak to people, um, make sure you get all the support that you can, uh, because uh, we're, we're very aware with everything with the cost of living and so on, that there's many issues going on at the moment that people just need some additional support with so please do that but yeah just want to thank Daniel and uh, for Adrian's uh, giving me the time just putting that together 
And as always, just want to thank uh, the wonderful team who do all the work around me. So Sally Birch and Kevin Birch for booking speakers, getting everything edited, and for Joy Day for preparing our website and visuals and ensuring that everything is uploaded suitably. So thank you to them for all that they do. And thank you for joining us on today's edition of the Suffolk Morning Podcast. We hope that we'll have you back with us in our next edition. 